the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. At about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. Today's texts are about people, all about people and their value to God, not just as laborers, but as people. The God who made them and pours out his love to redeem them, to get them back into his care, to secure their response in a race against time. For he knows that with their response, they will be secure, safe and secure with him. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, writes the apostle. And Christ's desire is that all may depart and be with him. But the work of this world is to gather that community of saints, prepare them for departure and for their return, and make this world as ready as we may for Christ's return. For that day, we simply call it the day, when Christ shall be seen to be the Lord of heaven and of earth. So today's parable is about a harvest, a harvest of souls, a gathering which is an ingathering, a gathering together of all those set apart by space and time who will converge on and into Christ's kingdom. Some have set forth early, some will arrive at the last minute. But time is ultimately of the essence. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle? At the last possible moment, the eleventh hour of a twelve-hour workday that ran from six in the morning to six in the evening at the equinox and was condensed or expanded, depending on what other time of year it was, Jesus tells us that the master of the house sent out yet another invitation, a last call to those who had missed every other call that day, for whom there was, apart from this, no more hope. How many of us have only allowed ourselves to be found when every other invitation drew us in, chewed us up, and spat us out again? We have no idea what these last group of laborers have been doing. All we know is they're only now ready to respond. How many are still being processed and reprocessed by the best that this world has on offer, only to find themselves the losers in the end, just when they've thought they were on the verge of another sure thing? Jesus waits them all out. These things take time, and God gives them time. And for all who accept his invitation, there is one reward. This is very binary, at least. And it's all or nothing. And all who accept get all, everything there is, that the master has on offer. Those who don't get nothing. There are no scoreboards, you see, in heaven. You belong, period. You're in. And if you're in, you've won. Now, the question that is asked here on earth so often is the one that will never be brought up in heaven. 
These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Aren't we a better brand of worker, they are saying, than those? As is not our worth in our works. May I say, theologians find it irresistible to try to parse heaven and divided it up into categories. I even heard Charles Stanley, bless his heart, who taught me so much, do this once in a sermon, say there will be grades in heaven, there'll be hierarchy there, and some of you will be better than others, and you'll all know it. He didn't pursue that again, I pray. I think the church has tended to come back and say, don't go down that road, but we always do, even the best of us. Aren't we a better brand of worker than those? And is not our worth proved by our works? Uh, we tried to settle that last week. Uh, we'll settle it again next week and again and again. It's the perennial question. The reformers really gave it a good stab. And their answer to the question, is not our worth in our works, was an unequivocal no which should have resounded down through the last 500 years, but you've got to put your ear to the tracks. Good works are the fruit, the outcome of a renewed and a right spirit. And just as good works alone will not get you into the kingdom, good works alone will not issue from the kingdom. They are the fruit of faith, of trust, of belonging, not the root. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Now we live in a world which has a bit of difficulty with that last word from our Lord. Our world says you are what you do and in a performance-based culture in which what you do is shown in what you get for doing it, our world says you are what you can show that you have done. Our value is measured, is weighed in the scales of our net worth. Thank you very much for whatever of it we can put on display. What use is it if others can't see it? And what we have is of no value to us if others don't want what they see that we have. We could take quiet satisfaction in the fruit of our labors, knowing that our needs have been met by our Heavenly Father, and that we through our labors have provided for the needs of others. Well, that's the economy of heaven. It doesn't seem to ever get much of a chance on earth when we've tried it, and yet we are called again and again to give that economy not just a chance, but to make it our only option. So here's another try. Have we worked hard enough, put to use the time and treasure and talent that God has given us for his purposes, we will ask, or wasted these on trivial pursuits? We try to make it work both ways if we can, but the bottom line is we should see the fruits of our labors here and now. Jesus is saying, don't go there either. What of those we see who seem to waste their lives on the pursuit of more and more that gives them less and less of that for which they're looking? Our whole economy is built on that, heaven forbid, if we stop. Whatever you've got, something eats away at your satisfaction. Do you have enough? Should you not have more to show for what you've been doing? 
And if so, here's how you can get it. And then our focus has shifted again. We are no longer following our vocation, if you like, and vocations come from God. We're pursuing a career. That usually comes from our parents or someone else. Looking not for every chance to do what needs to be done, but for every opportunity to get the most and to do the least. Always, of course, about doing the work of self-promotion, never missing a chance to draw attention to what one has done, even if someone else has done it, and to how much more should we look to be getting for what we are giving, if there were any justice. Jesus issues a stern warning to those who follow this path. That's all of us, once or another. On those who stand on their rights. Standing on the rights of others is one thing, but standing up for your own rights is a dodgy task from a biblical perspective. And those who demand justice for themselves are better to leave it for someone else to take up the cause, and vice versa. Those who seek to storm the gates for what they've got coming are in a tricky place. To say nothing of those who seek to bring God's ability to judge back on God himself, who, like Jonah, cannot accept it when the hammer does not fall on Nineveh, the sinful city who have the temerity to repent. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented. God repented, actually, is the text of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah has a vocation. It comes from God. It's to go to Nineveh and get the people to repent. Just Jonah doesn't believe he could possibly do it, which is actually a good sign that you have a vocation from God, and he goes and does it anyway, which is absolutely admirable. Then he blows it, which is actually typical for what you read in scripture. You get it right, then you mess it up spectacularly. He gets angry because they do repent, because secretly he's been looking forward to seeing the hammer come down. You sent me all this way that they should replant, and now they've done it, and now you've gone and done it shown yourself once more to be a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah doesn't want to be the one that comes at the 11th hour. He wants to be the one that comes at the 12th hour when it's too late. Should we not, however, rather be on the side of that God who is slower to anger than we are to repent? Instead of being beside ourselves as well with unrighteous indignation, whenever we find those who we think should repent and those on whom we believe God should show no pity, heaven forbid. Jesus asks them literally, is your eye evil because I am good? The eye that loves the black and white of the ledger, especially when it's in the black, that cannot stand the idea that it's when we're in the red that God steps in to ask us to step out and step up. Robert Farrer Capon writes, bookkeeping is the only punishable offense in the kingdom of heaven. For in that happy state, 
The books are ignored forever, and there is only the book of life. And in that book, nothing stands against you. There are no debit entries that can keep you out of the clutches of a love that will not let you go. There is no minimum balance below which the grace that finagles all accounts will cancel your credit. And there is, of course, no need for you to show large amounts of black ink. We dare not begrudge God his generosity, his grace, especially when we never know when it will be our turn next, when it will be turned toward us, and we will thank God that we are the beneficiaries. And we might bear in mind that it is precisely when we most think that we don't need grace anymore, that we're past it at last, we built up enough of a treasury of merit to get us through anything, that we need it most and we'll find out very soon. God's grace, God's unmerited kindness, God's one-way love, which does not give as good as it gets, but always gives more and better, is the one currency that this world needs and the one medium of exchange that the next world, the age to come, puts into use. Yes, you need repentance to trip that grace into flowing into the economy. But God wants to give us time to get there above all else and to let this world suffer through a lot as he gives time to gather yet a few more into repentance and into his kingdom. God sees what we need here and now, and he will see what we, that we get it if we let him. We need to get in whatever is left of the time we have been given to whatever it is that we have yet to do ourselves of all that the Father has given us. To work in the Father's kingdom is grace itself, a gift itself. We want no payment for that at all, but for the privilege of working for such a Father as this. Whatever it is that this world needs, then, that we have been gifted and granted to do, to give, not what we get out of it, but what we get to put into it, that is our calling. We've been given the privilege of working for one who is not a hard master, but whose generosity, whose patience is beyond all measure. Let us celebrate every hour of every day that we have the health and strength to serve him. We can lose that health and that strength in a moment. And let us seek to look not to what more we want, that others have, that we can get, but to what others need, that we can give. Amen.